I'm Khalil A. Colonna, and this is Nashville. If you want to have a laid-back, good time, look no further than your local bowling lanes. That's right, the crash of the pins, the camaraderie of friends and family. And let's not forget the shoes. They're so stylish, some people wear them away from the lanes. But there are some highly competitive bowlers here in Nashville. So what's it like to hit the lanes with a title on the line? Later this hour, we'll talk with bowlers from both the leisure and competitive circuits and learn where in our city you can go and try to bowl the perfect game. But first, lawmakers are more than halfway through the 113th General Assembly, and we have our political reporter, Blaze Ganey, at the Capitol to give us an update on what's happened so far this session. Hey, Blaze, how's it going? It's going great. Awesome. So good to have you. So, you know, Blaze, the state legislature has been in session for more than two months. What's still left to do this session? There's actually a lot left to do. Uh, they've only passed 47 bills, not including resolutions. Just a, a comparison, last year they passed more than 1,100. The year before that, more than 800. So mm. it's a lot more expected to happen. Excuse me. One of the biggest items left is the governor's transportation package. It's been moving rather quietly, but financially it's huge. Currently, it sits at three point three billion dollars. Um, it gets a Senate floor vote today. But this week, the real focus is abortion. On abortion, there's been a lot of back and forth between Republicans about how far to go with adding exceptions to Tennessee's law, which doesn't have any right now. What are they debating? You know, they're, they're really trying to decide how far to go, basically. Um, you know, Tennessee Right to Life, uh, anti-abortion group, is, seems to really be running this show here. They openly opposed the bill and warned lawmakers that they would grade them or score them uh, negatively if they supported it right after the bill was amended. And they came out and said that they were the ones to craft the amendment by working with lawmakers on it. Um, that language is on the Senate floor today. It allows doctors to perform abortions for ectopic pregnancies and to remove miscarriages. But some doctors and lawyers are already saying that it doesn't go far enough and that the state will likely be in the same place it is now um, or, or just a little better. It's a the, the way they've been saying is like it's it's a tiptoe when we could have took a big step forward. Hmm. Um, and a separate bill to add exceptions for rape and incest victims seems to be basically dead at this point. All right. Now, we've heard that Lieutenant Governor Randy McNally is taking a little social media break after some questionable activity. Can you recap what happened there? Yeah, he actually, uh, it looks like, uh, you know, removed his whole Instagram. You can't even search and find him at all now. Um, his Instagram activity was brought to light earlier this month after likes and comments were shown uh, with like heart and fire emojis on pictures of a young gay man in his underwear. This had been going on for a while. Uh, McNally came out, apologized, insisted that he wasn't anti-gay. Uh, but people say it's very hypocritical from his voting record, which shows that he's backed some of the most anti-LGBTQ legislation really across the country over the past few years. The LGBT com community, LGBTQ community, pardon me, isn't the only group that's been targeted this session. We've also seen quite a few bills aimed at Nashville itself. Oh, yeah. What legislation has passed so far and, you know, what's still in the works? Well, Nashville has been under fire and, and basically 
while Republicans won't admit it, it, it has to be. It just seems like it is because the Metro Council voted down a proposal to welcome the 2024 Republican National Convention over the summer. After they did that, several bills were filed this session to strip away power from the mayor and council. One, uh, cap, it's already law. It caps the 40-member council to 20. It's already being challenged, of course, by the city. But other bills that are still moving would reformat the airport authority and strip the special tax used to pay for the convention center away. Mm. Any signs that tensions are easing between the state and Nashville? No, not at all. Um, last week, the airport authority bill was amended slightly in favor to the city, but it's, it wasn't a, a big enough improvement. And then, you know, with Mayor John Cooper leaving office soon, it, it really wonders, you know, how the next person is going to be able to mend the relationship between the city and state. You know, this session has been rife with what, what we might call culture war legislation. How do you think this session will be remembered when it's all over? It will be remembered as being especially harsh towards the LGBTQ community. Uh, the first two bills signed by the governor this year were ones that LGBTQ advocates opposed. One prevents most gender-affirming health care for minors, including surgeries and puberty blockers. And the other is the drag show ban bill, which prevents any performance that could be seen as harmful or overtly sexual from taking place on public property or in front of minors. And, and on that front, Democrats have questioned, you know, Republican priorities, uh, saying Republicans should focus on helping needy families in their weekly avails to the media. They are often saying it's been another week without any bills passed to help people put food on the table. Mm. That is WPLN political reporter Blaze Ganey. You can find his updates at WPLN.org. Blaze, thanks for joining us and thank you for this update. Thank you. We have to take a short break. When we come back, we'll head out to a tournament featuring some of the top collegiate bowlers in the country. Do you love to bowl? What's your favorite bowling memory? Tweet us at This Is Nashville. We'll be right back. Colonna, and this is Nashville. All right, so you want to talk about madness in March? Brackets? The best college teams going head-to-head? -head? Dramatic come-from-behind wins? Well, this weekend, the Smyrna Bowling Center was the site of the 19th annual Music City Classic. The NCAA bowling tournament brought together 30 teams from across the country, including 14 top 25 teams and host school, Vanderbilt University. The hometown squad came into the weekend ranked number two in the nation. Our technical director, Michaela Elias, took a trip to see the excitement for themselves. From the outside, the Smyrna Bowling Center seems pretty tame, but on the inside, Every single one of the 52 lanes are packed with bowlers and fans alike. I can barely squeeze through the crowd of excited fans as I scour the room for the Vanderbilt women's team. As I pass, I notice some pretty specific cheers coming from the bowlers. Some teams have 
specific cues for each player. Some teams just have overall big ones, but yeah, no, it's pretty cool. That's Samantha Gaynor. She was part of those cheers for five seasons. Her freshman year, Vanderbilt won the national championship, and her senior year, they took home the conference tournament gold. When we would get five strikes in a row, we would come up with something that usually had to do with like the loca location we were bowling in. I think in Texas, we would do like, howdy, y'all. <laughs> if there is such a thing as home lane advantage, Vanderbilt can certainly use it. The field of 30 includes most of the top-ranked teams in the country. Rod Williamson used to head up the Vanderbilt Athletics Communications Department, and his son John is the team's head coach. As he explains, Vandy also has another advantage. Well, now we have some of the most elite um, high school junior bowlers in the United States on this team, and you know, they're averaging well over 200. Vanderbilt's team is pretty special. Not only does it draw some of the nation's best bowlers, it also brings in incredibly talented students. As former Vandy bowler Samantha puts it, there's no other school that you can beat that has a bowling program with academics. For some of these talented bowlers, the sport is in their blood. Some of the girls um, have parents that have, didn't bowl, and then you have some who have parents that bowl and sisters that bowl, so it's a unique mix. That's Carolyn Doran Ballard, mother of Vandy's Alyssa Ballard. Carolyn and her husband, Dill Ballard, competed on the PWBA and PBA tours. She loves getting to share the sport with her daughter's teammates and their families. It's kind of fun watching in the back with the parents that kind of know bowling and then the parents that don't. It's like I'm teaching on the right, but then on the left we're discussing what's going on. My next guests represented the number two women college bowling team in the country in the Music City Bowling Classic. Amanda Najokas is a junior, and Joni Ernest Barnes is the associate. Josie Ernest Barnes is the associate head coach of the Vanderbilt Commodores. Amanda, Josie, thank you so much for being here. Welcome to This Is Nashville. Thank you for having us. Thank you for having us. Well, it's great to have you. Okay, so first of all, congratulations for coming in third over the weekend. I know that's quite an accomplishment because there were so many ranked teams in the Bowl Classic. Amanda, how did you and the rest of the team feel about the weekend and the tournament? Um, I feel like we felt pretty confident going into the tournament because we practiced at Smyrna for the week following that. So I feel like we went in feeling confident and it was nice to have such like a loud environment of a bunch of people rooting for us because it was our home event. So we just knew that we just had to trust the process and the pin should fall our way. Did you leave it all out on the lanes, so to speak? Um, I would say we definitely tried our hardest and we definitely tried to leave everything out there. So I feel like we can leave pretty accomplished and learn from the mistakes that happened this weekend to help propel us forward for postseason coming up next weekend. Now, you mentioned that you all spent the previous week practicing at Smyrna. Now, how are the lanes during a tournament like the Music City Classic, how are they different as opposed to someone like me who shows up to go bowling just with a few friends? Um, I would say that the lanes are different based on the oil pattern. So the oil pattern that we bowl on in college bowling, the ratios are a lot smaller, so it makes the patterns more difficult compared to just going bowling like with like your friends. The pattern is way easier. 
So it takes a lot more uh, shot repeatability to score well on the patterns that we ball on in college. So intense practice it yeah. takes, huh? All right. Now, I understand it. You were already an accomplished bowler when you came to Vandy. You won the junior national championship when you were 12? Yeah. That's pretty cool. Tell me, how much practice does it take to get that good? Like that? <laughs> yeah, um, I would say I practice six to seven days a week, just focusing on different things from shooting spare some days to just doing drills some days to not even doing a full shot. So I feel like it pretty much takes all days or maybe like one rest day to get that good. So, so when you're practicing and other people are on the lanes, you know, it's interesting to me because bowling's kind of social. You want to talk to the people in the lanes next to you. Do you have this game face on where you're just out there by yourself and your balls and you're like, do not talk to me. I am getting this. I'm getting my curve, my arc down. Um, I would say sometimes I have a stern face, but also a lot of my teammates and people who have watched me bowl. I show a lot of emotions and expressions through my face. Okay. But when I go to practice on my own, I usually put headphones on or something so I can dial in. But then if someone in the bowling alley like, knows me and comes up, I'll talk to them for a little bit, but then I'll get back to what I'm doing. You got to get back to work. Yeah. You gotta be, it takes work to be a champion. Yeah. Now, Josie, you have a lot of championship hardware in your trophy case as well. Let me get this right. I'm going to read this off. You're the four-time winner of the Professional Women's Bowling Association Tour. You've won the U.S. Open in 2021. You're a two-time NCAA Player of the Year and four-time All-American. Along with all of that, you were also on the U.S. national team for nine years. You know, it's no simple big deal, <laughs> right? Simple question for you. Are you the GOAT? Oh, no, I would not say I'm the GOAT. Um, you know, I the GOATs inspire me. <laughs> um, okay. But, but we have some pretty, pretty big shoes to fill in bowling. Yeah, I mean, it's an impressive list of accomplishments. So tell me, when did you start bowling? So... My parents bought a bowling center when I was right at three years old. So I uh, picked up a ball pretty early, mm -hmm. uh, but didn't really become competitive till I was, you know, middle school. Um, didn't really like it because I was around it all of the time. You know, bowling was my babysitter. Right? So, so how did that change? Uh, it changed when uh, right at that 12 years old, I, I bowled a state tournament where I was bowling against girls that were nearly twice my age. And I ended up finishing in the top five, and I hadn't really practiced, hadn't really worked hard. Mm. And my parents, you know, kind of a light clicked on, and they were like, listen, kid, because uh, in bowling you can earn scholarship money okay. when, you're, when you're a young kid to save up for college. Uh, and they said, you don't have to like bowling, but you can make a decision. You can get a big girl job and pay for your own college, or you can practice for free here and, and get your college paid for. And I was like, eh. I think we're going to bowl. <laughs> I think that's my choice. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, you have all this experience playing at the highest levels. How do you use that to help the young bowlers that you coach at Vandy? You know, it's it's hard because in, in one hand, you want to take all of your experiences and help them not make the same mistakes that, that you've made along the way. But on the other hand, the only reason I got to where I am today is because I've made those mistakes and mm. I've learned from them. So, you know, trying to help guide them, you know, to the right path, but also just letting them learn, mm -hmm. you know, because it, it words can only do so much, right? Like yeah. you have to experience those feelings yourself. And so uh, it's hard, you know, because I don't I don't want to see them have to suffer the, those defeats and, and, and feel that, um, you know, so I, I think 
in the best way, just trying to be there to help pick them up when they do experience those moments. And, you know, lucky for us, we have a lot of really great kids, so we don't have to experience them too often. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's awesome. Amanda, how does it feel to have like such a legend as your coach? Um, That was actually one of the reasons that I was so interested in Vanderbilt, because I'm like, I can go to a school with a great education, great program, and learn from someone who's been so successful. And I really think that it's helped us on the lanes because she's been a collegiate bowler and she bowls on the tour. So she's experienced so much so she can help us make those moves and see those transitions compared to someone who really hasn't been involved in the sport. So it's just something that's amazing. Have you ever challenged her to a match? Um, we've bowled in events together, but I've never bowled her like head on head. No one yeah. on the team has t- tried to take you on, Josie? Not yet, but we do. So one of the cool things um, when these kids are young is now they can compete in some of the professional events as an amateur. So what was it? Two summers ago, I was able to go up to Amanda's hometown. We had a PWBA event and we were both able to compete in that event. And I, we both bowled pretty well. So it was a lot of fun being able to bowl next to each other and uh you know, yes, compete against each other, but also be there to support each other. What Talk to me about the bonds that you all form. I mean, you're spending a lot of time together and, you know, going out to bowl with your friends is always fun because you're in this almost, I mean, it's a wide open lane, but you're sitting down in this confined area. What's the camaraderie like with the team, Amanda? Um, I would say the camaraderie as a team is we just always go into the mindset that we're not only doing it for ourselves, but we're doing it for our teammates because all of us put in all this hard work, time, and dedication. So it doesn't really matter who's throwing the ball. Like, we're all doing it for each other. And college bowling is kind of unique because bowling is a pretty, like, individual sport before you get to college. So creating that, like, transition from individual to collegiate bowling as a team, it is kind of a transition, but I feel like once we come together and, like, go through workouts and practices, stuff together. We come together as a team, and we just do it for each other. Now, you're joining us after class, right? Yeah. So, okay, show us what a day in the life of a student athlete is like. What's your schedule like? Um, So I would say a normal day. So I'll go through, like, a Tuesday, Thursday. So I have practice from 8.15 to 9.45. A.M.? Yeah. Okay. And then I have... Man, college students getting... Okay, okay. (laughs) It's what it takes. Yeah, and then um, I have a little break because the next practice session goes in. And then we have workouts from 11.30 to 12.30. And then I have class from 1.15 to 2.30. And then another class from 2.30 to 4. So every day you're practicing. Yep. And you're working out. What 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 muscle groups do you work on? I noticed you both had really strong handshakes. <laughs> <laughs> um, I would say during workouts, we mostly focus on legs because for bowling, you need like strong legs and core. But I would say at workouts, we work out everything to improve like our overall fitness. Mm-hmm. Now, Vanderbilt is this top academic institution. How do you balance your studies with the demands of playing this sport? I would say it definitely has to deal with a lot of time management and making sure when we get those hour or like 30 minute breaks just to like check up on your email, making sure that you're staying on top of your work, especially when we travel because we are bowling for such long days. So I would say it's really just time management and doing work during those small little breaks. Mm -hmm. Now, Josie, talk to me, what makes bowling at Vandy different from going to other schools to bowl? So one of the unique things about 
bowling in the NCAA is we compete across all divisions. So division one, two, and three, we see each other week in and week out. So the thing that makes us so different is, you know, we are a D1 school. We don't compete in the SEC, but we are, you know, a part of an SEC um, athletics department. Uh, obviously the academics, you know, we're a top 15 university. I, I don't know that there's anyone else that really comes, you know, comes close to that. Mm-hmm. And we're a top, a top five program year in and year out. So the, the kind of student athletes we attract are the ones that want to be challenged all the time. You know, it's not just being challenged from a bowling perspective, athletic perspective, but they want to be challenged uh, in academics as well and, and be surrounded by people who expect greatness in all facets of their life. Awesome. If you're just tuning in, this is Nashville, and I'm your host, Khalil Lake We're talking this hour about bowling with player Amanda Najokas and associate head coach Josie Ernest Barnes of the Vanderbilt women's bowling team. Send us your comments along with your best bowling score at This Is Nashville. Now, you know, I've been bowling many times. But those were really friendly games, you know? And I've I've watched women's college bowling on ESPNU. And I was kind of kind of confused by the scoring and the match rules. So can you guys help us out a little bit and can, can explain? Sure. You know, Josie, okay, so let's say you're playing McKendrick. Yes. For the national title. Break down a typical match for us. So if it is in the national title match, it will be a Baker best four of seven. So a Baker bowling game is when five individuals collectively bowl one game. So the first person will bowl frames one and six. The second one will bowl two and seven and so forth. Mm -hmm. Um, And so you will bowl potentially seven games. So the first team to four games uh, would win the national championship match. Okay. Okay. So if I'm the first player Mm -hmm. and I set myself up for a spare. Yes. Does the next player finish that off or is that on me? That is on you. Okay. Oh, that's a lot of pressure. So... Well, how does the coaching staff, how do you all determine who plays? Uh, it's hard, especially on our team. You know, we have a, we're not just a five player team. We're a really deep roster. Um, so sometimes there's no real math or science to it. It's a gut feeling of, I, I think, you know, each, each player has uh, strengths and weaknesses, right? And so if a certain oil pattern that Amanda talked about earlier is playing a certain way, we know that there are certain players that are probably going to have an easier path to the pocket, an easier path to strike. So that plays into it. Uh, but it's also who fills out each position best. So each, you know, a leadoff has different strengths than the person finishing the frame. So like this weekend, Amanda was primarily in our leadoff spot. Mm-hmm. Uh, because she was consistently hitting the same spot every time, and we were able to get a read off of that. And so a lot of our successes, specifically on Sunday, were because Amanda was, was quote, doing her job in that leadoff spot. So you're setting up the rest of the team by heading up first. Were you knocking down strikes? Yeah. Yes, not, she did. Yeah. She Our first match, she only struck every time. She had 10 strike strikes. Yeah. What? Let her yeah. brag a little. <laughs> Better brag. Yeah. That's really awesome. I mean, so I mean, okay, so talk to me about like the pressure in those situations. Now I can I can only imagine what it's like to stand in the lane with the ball in hand. You got the seven ten split and all eyes are on you. How do you approach a situation like that? Um, I would say 
in situations like that, it's kind of just going back to the basics. So whenever I get into like a high pressure, high pressure situation, I tend to focus on one thing because that clears my mind. So it's either like my push away or counting my steps. So like the outside noise and like the outside thoughts like kind of go away. So I'm like, okay, once I get up here, take a deep breath and then I count my steps. So through my entire approach, that's all I'm thinking about compared to like, oh, you have to get this strike. You have to make this spare. So that's what I do for myself to try to eliminate everything else. You go back down to the fundamentals and you just follow the steps that you learned when you first picked up a ball. Yeah. That's a really good strategy. Now, you're a former champion, Josie. Mm -hmm. How do you coach the players so they can excel in these pressure-packed situations? You know, I, with the group of girls we have, I try to just encourage them to be themselves because especially in bowling, there's so many different ways to to get the ball to strike that sometimes we see someone striking and we're like, oh, I should do that. And I'm like, no, 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 we're going to be ourselves, right? Yeah. Like you, you know the strengths that you have. You know how to go back and fall on your fundamentals. Uh, I, I'm just here to help guide you, right? Like I'm, they're good enough. I'm not reinventing the wheel here, right? Like mm -hmm. I'm just trying to help broaden what they do now and make it just a little better. And so, you know, I just try to support them. You know, there are certain specific little things. Like if you pay attention, I stand at the front cause I'm shorter than everyone else on the team. So that's the only <laughs> way I can do my job and, and see what's going on. Uh, but for each player, there's something different. I might say to them before they throw their shot to kind of get their, their mind in the right headspace. And I don't know if they hear it or not. <laughs> they might completely block it out. Um, that might be a nervous mechanism for, <laughs> for me, um, you know, but just trying to give them one, one simple thing to do. Awesome. Now, this past weekend was the Music City Classic Tournament, and next up is the Southland Championships, where Vanderbilt is the two-time defending champion. What do you want to see from the players in this coming tournament? I, I mean, really, what I said before, you know, just them allowing themselves to be themselves, have fun, uh, you know, when, when they're loose and, and having a good time with each other, they tend to compete better, um, and, and don't pay attention to what the other team is doing. Uh, and, you know, just do the really simple tasks. Well, you know, if we are good spare shooters, we tend to do really well at events. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's something simple that we can focus on. So that's the key to winning a, a, aside from avoiding the gutter. Correct. Awesome. Yeah. Now, <laughs> now, you know, Amanda, you, tell me the biggest shot you've ever hit in your career. Um, I would probably say it would probably be last year at the conference tournament when we were bowling in like the best of seven in the final match. Just that's what I would say is my biggest shot. Just when we were competing for the conference tournament. What happened? Tell me about the shot. I think I struck. I don't remember it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it just happens so much. Yeah. You forget all of them all the time. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but it's okay. So we got this, we got this tournament Southland and we have the NCAA championship tournament coming up. What are you doing to get your mind and your game in the perfect place so you can go out there and help the team bring home a trophy? I would say it's not only showing up every day present at the practices that we like have our assigned time block, but going in extra, just shooting extra spares, working on my fundamentals to make sure I'm at the sharpest that I can be for my teammates so I can show up and be successful for them. Nice. So you're the second ranked team in the country, number two in the country. That's so cool. How badly do you want to bring home a national championship? Oh, it would be amazing. I feel like each year we put ourselves in the position 
to be successful. And I feel like as a team, we know we can be so successful and we've shown that to ourselves and other people. So now it's just finally getting the title so we can actually prove to people that we are the best team in the country. Mm-hmm. Who's the okay? So Josie, who's the team that stands in Vandy's way of realizing that national championship dream? Well, I think a lot of it is still undetermined, right? So we have the Southland Championship that we go to, and then we don't know where our regional is. So the biggest and most important thing for us right now isn't necessarily the NCAA Championship Final Four because we have to get through that regional. So once the conference championship uh, is determined, they'll then seat us into a regional, and we'll have a better idea of what our path looks like Mm -hmm. um, going forward. But we really don't even know who we would have to play. All right. At this point. So you're just preparing We're for just preparing. any and yeah. all comers. And I think I think the biggest thing for us is controlling what we can control. You know, bowling's a unique sport in the sense that there is no defense, right? So really, if you're asking what team stands in the way of us winning a national championship, I think it's ourselves, mm-hmm. right? And being able to do what we can do. That's the best place to be. Yeah. Before I let you both go, this has been great. Question for you, Kingpin or The Big Lebowski as your favorite bowling movie? I might get crucified for this, um, but I've only watched Kingpin. <laughs> Me okay. too. I haven't seen the other one. You guys either, haven't so seen the Yeah. My yeah. I, right. yeah my, my boss would probably like to strangle me right now because I just don't watch movies. And he's always referencing these movies. Both, <laughs> both classic movies. They're enjoyable. And hey, if you all do win the national championship, I'd love to see a parade downtown. Sure. That'd be Can great. you set that up? We'll try. Okay, okay. Why don't we just share it with the rest of the city <laughs> okay, and see yeah, what they have I, to say. I'm good with that. Perfect, perfect. Yeah. That is Josie Ernest Barnes, associate head coach of the Vanderbilt women's bowling team. She was joined by junior Amanda Najokas. I want to thank you both for being here. Good luck in this tournament and the playoff run. Thank, thank you. you. We really appreciate it. We have to take a short break. When we come back, we'll learn about one local high school's approach to dominating the lanes and where you can go get your bowl on. Where do you like to bowl? Tweet us at This Is Nashville. We'll be right back. I'm Khalil A. Colonna, and this is Nashville. We've been rolling out the strikes and spares today as we get to know more about our city's bowling scene. Now, before the break, we spoke with a player and coach from Vanderbilt's women's bowling team, ranked second in the nation. Now let's learn about how a local high school goes about dominating the lanes. Mike Smithfield is the bowling coach at Hume Fogg High School. Mike, welcome to This Is Nashville. Thank you. Thanks for being with us, my man. So I understand that Hume Fogg has quite the reputation in the local bowling community. Tell me, how good have the Blue Knights been? Well, our girls have been um, predominant in our district lately. We've won, I think, six straight district titles. Mm-hmm. Um We've gone to, we've had a region title win and a region second place win and never made it to state yet, Um, but they're doing quite well. The boys had their first ever district championship last year, and we had our first ever regular season district championship this year, and we've made it to regionals the last three years. So that's something encouraging from our team. Is it, are we getting into playoff season right around now? 
we finished up and we do our districts at the end of December and early January is for regional and okay. states in January. So okay. everything's wrapped up now. Everything is wrapped up, getting ready for to come back next season. I mean, to defend these titles, team sounds pretty good. What do you think about next year? What are the prospects? My challenge with my boys is I had a 10-team boy team, and eight of them were seniors. Ah. So I'm going to be pretty much completely rebuilding the team. Uh, the girls I feel pretty strongly about. My best bowler had a 199 this year. It's her high game. Just barely missed that 200. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I feel pretty strong about the girls. The boys will be interesting. Um, also, MLK will be in our district this year for the first time in about six years. And they're as competitive as we are oh. in bowling. So it should be a good challenge. Okay, so you got the rival coming in. We do. You want to make sure the team is ready to represent Hume Fogg. Exactly. Uh, a nice, uh, I, see, I see your face <laughs> light up. Tell me, what do you enjoy the most about coaching bowling at the high school level? I think just seeing – one thing is just seeing these kids – do things they haven't done. This year, I had four of my boys break 200 for a first time in competitive play. And that was quite exciting. And two of them did it during a state qualifying tournament, um, which was pretty cool. The kids are just such a joy to, to coach. Um, my son was on the team with me for a couple years um, when I first started, but I've enjoyed it so much. I've, I'm, I've coached two years since he's graduated. Hmm. Um, and just seeing, you know, them pick up big splits and, you know, get a bunch of strikes in a row, it's it's quite exciting. Now, that's really cool. You see these kids. I, I did some coaching of sports intramural and stuff, and you see them make these accomplishments, and it totally does. It oh. kind of changes their lives in many ways, you know? It does. Uh, what do you, what type of special training do you put them through? I really don't put any special training. Uh, a lot of these kids learn how to bowl hooks kind of on your own. Um, my son did watching YouTube videos, okay. but some did it um, just when they weren't starting, they weren't quite good enough to start. They would be on the practice lanes and they would be learning from their friends and watching others and doing, and you know, they end up throwing hooks and they would start the next year. So um, I don't do any, like say any special job. I just get them out there. That's mm-hmm. a big thing is practice. These kids, some of these kids have never bowled competitively um, as a as a kid before, and so this is a great opportunity for him. What kind of bowler are you yourself? Uh, I'm probably about 150 average. You know, I'm I throw a probably a pretty weak cook, but um, my son's a lot better than me. He had about 190 average in high school. Oh wow! Uh, so he he was really good. I but I have fun. I've been bowling since I was in kindergarten, and. Uh, been in leagues off and on throughout my life. Mm-hmm. So. Now, you know, it's fair to say that if a high school doesn't have a bowling center, where do you take the team to practice and to play matches? So we play at Donaldson Strike and Spare and Hermitage Strike and Spare. So we're most of the schools in our district are in the north and east part of Nashville. Um, the other half, they bowl in Tusculum and Smyrna. And some bowl all the way in Hermitage as well. Okay. You know, as we've been talking, in, to bowl, you need a bowling alley. And that leads us to our next guests. I'd like to introduce Jimmy Patrick, owner of LTA Depot in Murfreesboro, and Jamie Rubin, co-owner of East Side Bowl in Madison. Jimmy, Jamie, thank you so much for being with us. And 
you know, for everybody who needed something to do on a Friday night, I want to say thank you both for what you provide. Thanks for showing up, for sure. Thank you for having us. This is great. So, Thanks, Cole. Jimmy, I understand you grew up in the bowling alley business, right? Yeah, my family got started in 1961, man. So not, I was born just a few years later in 78, but they've been doing it for a long time. And uh, I started on actually getting involved in the family business around the age of 13, uh, be 45 this year. So 30 plus years in the business. Uh, Started bowling pretty competitively at 13, went to a lot of tournaments, things like that. And then the bowling you know, landscape has changed drastically over that time, for sure. How? How's it changed? Uh, one thing for sure, you know, I was just talking to these guys earlier before we got on here. Uh, something we don't do very good in our industry is promote in our sport, in our youth sport, the scholarship monies that's out there. When I bowled competitively back in, you know, 13, 14, 15 years old, we would win a tournament and there wouldn't be a lot of, there wouldn't be a scholarship money to, to win. Uh, like these kids now that go to AAU basketball or my kid plays travel baseball or, you know, they go win a tournament, they get a little trophy. Well, bowling's pretty neat. When you go to these tournaments and win these, these youth tournaments, there's scholarship money banked for you in the future. So if you go to any higher education learning, it doesn't have to be college, a vocational school, anything like that, you can collect that scholarship money. Mm -hmm. We were just talking to Coach here, and his kid's got some money banked right now. He was talking about just reminded him that he's got to collect. So it's pretty cool how that sport has done that for these youth bowlers for sure. That's really cool. Now, you've been at this for a long time. Tell me, what draws people to the bowling lanes? Man, I, I tell you, our biggest excitement is, you know, we say our demographic is ages 8 to 80. And mm. the cool thing, you know, like Coach is talking about, as far as most anybody can do it, you see a lot of folks that maybe don't make the basketball team, don't make the football team or the baseball team because of athletic skill sets or things like that, or just a lot more people participating in that sport. Uh, they can come out and bowl. Uh, it just takes a little bit of time, a little bit of effort. Like you said, a lot of reps on the lanes to get pretty competitive at it. And that's pretty neat for us to see that kind of happen in, the, in this sport, for sure. Mm -hmm. Now, Jamie, you came to bowling alley ownership from another path altogether, correct? <laughs> yes. So tell me, how did a former musician become co-owner of actually, a bowling alley? I'm not a former musician. I'm actually a working musician as well. Okay. Um, how do you how do you come to bowling? That would be uh, my good, dear friend, Chark Consolving, who came to me uh, shortly after me leaving a business that I started um, in East Nashville called The Family Wash. And basically it was just a couple of words and he said, hey man, you know how I told you I was never, never getting in the bar business again? Because hmm. he had, was a former owner of Cannery Ballroom, Mercy Lounge, that whole complex. Okay. Built it. Um, I said, yeah. He said, we'll dig this. <laughs> <laughs> and it just kind of went from there. So our project kind of grew out of just like kind of a cool idea because Chark had found this former bowling alley up in Madison, the Madison Bowl, which these guys are familiar with. Um, and that was kind of the uh, dropping off point for us when we, for, for this concept. Now, so it was by, by chance, I guess. Now Eastside Bowl is huge. Like, in <laughs> fact, you all, you, you moved from the Madison Bowl. You took over an old Kmart mm -hmm. in Madison. You built it from the ground up. When you walk in there, there's a lot of references to music and 70s nostalgia. What was the inspiration for that well, type of thing? Thank you for noticing, Khalil. Oh, yeah. Uh, well, 1973. That's a good year. That's that like was, the that best was, year ever, that's, if you ask that's me. That's Chark's favorite year in music, and I can't really argue too much with him about that. Um and we're both guitar players. Uh, I sing and write, and um, but 1973 and a love for 
you know, one of the greatest movies ever made, The Big Lebowski, was kind of our uh, was kind of our 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 starting point, I would say. You know, the the center it features this performance venue, which is huge, and it's also kind of unique for a bowling alley. What was the idea behind that? I guess being creatives, both being musicians, both you know, I'm I turned sixty years old this year, um, so uh, and and Chark's a little a little behind me by five years or okay. so, um, and and so really kind of the the love of music really is where it all came from, and we thought bowling would be you know finding that bowling alley would be a really cool way to kind of combine everything. Mm -hmm. um, and so being musicians, it, you know, when it comes in terms of that venue, we wanted to have a venue that was flexible, that you could do anything in. Um, from big old rock shows, it's a 750 cap room, um, to smaller rock shows. And that, that was the idea of the second stage that we have in there. So we could do a big national or international act like the Ma Mavericks, and then, you know, a couple days later, you have somebody like Chuck Prophet who just played our place mm -hmm. on the smaller stage with two or 300 people in there. So it was all about flexibility um, and confusion. <laughs> we wanted people to walk in the front door and not know what to do first, wow. um, which is also confused us a little bit. But really, that that's kind of what it was all about. It was a creative space to uh, to have fun. And I was talking to these guys earlier. We kind of call our place kind of when uh, in the bowling section uh, a leisure lanes. It's mm -hmm. not it's not professional play. There aren't oiled patterns or, you know, um, also our pin setters are different than you find in a lot of bowling lanes and they're, they're, they're called string setters. Mm -hmm. And so there's a string that sets the pins and it's maintenance free. And I was telling these guys kind of what we're learning about those because the, the biggest problem has been pins breaking lately. Mm. Okay. I think there were three last weekend. I think there was maybe one or two this weekend. So and we've been open just a little over a year. So. See, that that's something like a, a casual bowler like me would never really truly consider the pins breaking or any of the upkeep in there, but it's a lot for you. And, yeah. and the relationship with music and bowling goes well. When I was in high school in the early 90s, um, they had rap and bowl, so they would bring a DJ out into the center two lanes. It was a great time, yeah. a great time. Now, you know, a lot of different people bowl, all sorts of folks, Jimmy. And from the coolest to the shyest of us. But I understand that your family business has a history with Major League Baseball superstar Mookie Betts. What do you remember about him coming to the lanes? Yeah, man, you know, they've been in the Nashville area for many, many years. And obviously Mookie's a big competitive bowler and his, his mom bowls, been bowling for years. She uh, actually hosts the league out at our place uh, at LTA. And uh, but yeah, we she just they came to the old bowling center. My family kind of well, back history. We used to old 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 bowling center in Murfreesboro called Murfreesboro Lanes on Broad Street. And they bowled there for many, many years. And Mookie hmm. was running around there. A young age of six, seven, eight years old, and I was thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, or whatever the age difference was, and uh, just pretty cool, man. He's a, he's always been active, you know, fun to be around, just that great, you know, charisma and personality, and uh, just cool to see him kind of grow up and and compete competitively in bowling, and then obviously in baseball, and it's pretty pretty cool. And 
I'll say that uh, he still comes around from time to time and really cool dude, and mm. uh, he hasn't changed much at all, man. Pretty pretty good guy. That's neat. How has how has interest in bowling been over the past couple of years? It's a great question. I just was looking up some numbers this morning in case that topic came up. You know, bowling is the the number one participated sport in the in in the country. Uh, a few years ago, the numbers were like fifty four to fifty six million. I just looked up today; they're estimating somewhere in the sixty seven to sixty eight million number was participated the last year in twenty twenty two. So, uh, pretty. Uh, then there again, you got to keep. That's a lot of recreational bowling. We were talking about that with these guys. There's the recreational side of bowling, and there's the sport or competitive side of bowling. And there's two different factors there. But all in all, uh, you know, around 60, 67 to 68 million people participated last year in, in throwing a ball down the lane. So that's pretty cool. Getting out into the lanes. If, yeah. you're ju- yeah. if you're just tuning in, this is Nashville, and I'm your host, Khalil Lake-Alona. We're talking this hour with Mike Smithfield, Jimmy Patrick, and Jamie Rubin about our city's local bowling scene. You can join the conversation by tweeting us at this is Nashville. Now, Mike, how does it feel to have like a local sports star, MLB megastar, Mookie Betts, be such a promoter for bowling. Do you let your students know that, hey, Mookie Betts is in the bowling? I definitely let, I mean, I, I tell them, one thing I do is sometimes I go to places with other coaches and they go, oh, there's bowling in Nashville, you know, high school bowling. And I go, yeah, and Mookie Betts was one of the uh, best bowlers. He was. He went to Overton High School. Mm-hmm. Um, and when they, when they hear that, they go, oh, you know, maybe bowling is a, you know, serious sport and talent mm-hmm. their, their, their interest gets sparked up right I, I really dig that now you know we talked a little bit about it and, and Jamie you referenced it there's the two huge movies that are out there I just want to know you know Big Lebowski or Kingpin obviously your favorite is Big Lebowski Mike you seen both of these I have not seen Kingpin so I've but I have seen Big Lebowski, so I'd probably pick that one. Oh, you're missing out. You're Jimmy. Ooh. You've seen both. I'm, I'm a Kingpin guy. For sure. I've seen both. Yeah, I love the Big Lebowski. But yeah, Kingpin man. Is Bill Murray's character with that, and you know that's crazy. They put that ball in the movie, and then we rushed in the industry. You know, I don't know if you the ball. If you've seen the movie, there's a clear ball in there with a rose in the yeah. middle, mm-hmm. and that was all done kind of just for that movie. But the demand and people started asking for that type of ball. There was a whole run on all these clear balls with dice inside and roses and all the stuff that cha- kind of changed the industry for a while on that that for that movie for sure. Yeah, that talk to me a little bit about this custom industry for balls and shoes. I mean, it's pretty big business, right? Yeah, it's it's it, people don't realize the the competitive side of bowling. You know, the old patterns. I know I, I heard uh, Vanderbilt the ladies talking about that earlier in the earlier segment. Uh, but the topography of the lane, you know, you can like we've got a machine that. Uh, basically can oil each individual board on the lane kind of like an inkjet printer. So you can put hmm. thicker thicker patterns of oil to one side of the lane, and then basically you can create these grooves on the lane with oil patterns to where it creates a little bit easier shot for competitive bowlers or helps you get to the pocket a little easier. So it's pretty neat how all that works. Then there's the, the cover stock of the bowling balls. There's plastic balls, resin balls, you know, uh, urethane balls. All that changes all that any time, any day. Do the patterns, the different oil patterns, do they have names? Oh, definitely, yeah. So, like, you know, uh, Josie, she bows on the PWBA. They have, like, the cheetah pattern, uh, uh, the shark pattern, all these things. And that's the cool thing about the, the machine we have, the technology is they can, you know, send these patterns out over the Internet. We can download them, put them in our machine, so we can somewhat replicate the same patterns that the pros are bowing on. All that stuff, so it's oh, pretty wow. cool. Now, now, Jamie, you referenced that over at Eastside. It's most, mostly like leisurely bowling. I wonder, how do serious bowlers respond when they head up there to You know, it's it's balls? always interesting. They, you know, there, there's usually 
many comments about what we're doing wrong, and we just say, "Hey, you know, we're we're." It's just it's just to come have fun. That, that's another thing that I think is really interesting about bowling. Jimmy was saying this to me that you know the industry as a whole is starting to kind of crest downward. But the neat thing about bowling, which is not true in many sports, is you don't need anything to bowl except mm-hmm. a good arm, which I have a bad shoulder, so I haven't been bowling for a while now. Okay, um, and 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 shoes. I mean, you don't need a glove, you don't need a bat, you don't need certain, you don't need, you know, anything to make you faster. Obviously, there are a lot of options, which many of these things are completely out of my realm, so I'm glad you guys are here. But, uh, you know, that that is a, you would think that something that's so easily accessible to people would be like a, a really great thing to get people to come back to bowling mm-hmm. because you don't you don't need anything. It's always a good time. I'm wondering, is, has anybody ever tried to walk off with a pair of these famous bowling shoes? Oh, it happens all the, all time. the time. Yeah, it's it's yeah, it's, it's incessant. We, we've, our industry's even tried to come up with like the little security tags like you go through the mall where it beeps when you walk out. And some people have created that, but you know, over time just the cost of the shoe and we just kind of have to let that go, but there's definitely loss in in shoes for well, sure. It happens all the time. We yeah. we've actually had some of our people out and about after work, you know, getting a beer or whatever at the local place. Yeah. And they've, they've taken pictures and say, hey, look, I approached this guy. This guy's got our nine and a halfs right here. <laughs> we'll have league bowlers that don't have shoes, but they have their own balls. But they'll put the shoes in their inside their uh-huh. bowling bag and just take them in and out. Like it's their shoes and, you know, things like that. So. Well, we've, we've had balls go missing. We, we yeah. like right off, like, because all our, you've seen them, Khalil, our, yeah. our, our, our balls look like cue balls, like yeah. pool balls. Pool balls. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I think within the first, I don't know, month and a half, we, we, we all, about nine balls disappeared. Yeah. Wow. That is something else. Who knew that bowling shoes were hotter items than Michael Jordan? <laughs> <laughs> I want to thank my guests, Jamie Rubin, co-owner of Eastside Bowl, Jimmy Patrick, owner of LTA Depot, and Mike Smithfield, head coach of the Hume Fog Bowling Squad. I want to thank you all for being here. Really appreciate it. Yes, sir. Thank, thank you. We want to thank everyone who tuned in this hour. Tomorrow, we're bringing you a special hour, Alternate Endings. It documents how community connections have been disrupted in the historically black neighborhoods of North Nashville. This is Nashville is a production of WPLN News and Nashville Public Radio. Listen back at thisisnashville.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Our producers are Steve Harouche, Rose Gilbert, and Magnolia McKay. Our digital lead is Anna Gallegos Cannon. Michaela Elias is our technical director. Our executive producer is Andrea Tutto. The masterminds behind our theme music are LaRange and Namir Blade. Special thanks to Amanda Smithfield. The conversation doesn't end here. Tweet us at This Is Nashville. Find us on Instagram and tell us what you want from our show by filling out our quick survey online. This is Nashville. I'm Khalil Ekelona. We'll see you tomorrow, everybody. And be good to each other. <laughs>